0: welcome to the Meiji 150 student podcast. My name is
1: Peter and today I'm going to be talking about otaku culture. Hi there, Peter. Hello. So today we're talking about otaku culture. Now, otaku is a word that we hear a lot about, but what is it?
0: Well, that's a really difficult question. Uh, Over the years, its meaning and connotation has kind of changed and there's many debates around what really is. I mean, is it a stigmatized geek culture? Is it related to anime, manga, video games? Does it have to be related to technology? I think what I learned the most from trying to go over everything is that the general consensus right now is it's just a super-obsessed fan.
1: A super-obsessed fan, okay. of uh, A fan of what, in particular?
0: Well, it pretty much can be anything, but, I mean, when Otaku wouldn't... The words first started going around, there was about a few specific categories, then it went to 12, and then all of those started branching off into subcategories. I mean, you get things like, uh, obviously, manga, anime, um, like collecting figures, but you can also go into pretty much anything, like if you're really into cell phones or video equipment or even professional wrestling or something like that.
1: So it's just a very intense fanhood association, is that what the idea
0: is? For the most part at this point. I mean, at different points in history, it's meaned certain things to different people and um, I mean there's still even debates today about whether it has to be related to anime or manga or there has to be like a Japanese element to it, Mm. but ultimately it just seems that it's anything related to fandom. Mm.
1: So what would be a couple examples of otaku culture that you're particularly interested in?
0: Well, honestly, when I, I started my research, I didn't really know too much about otaku, and there wasn't too much I was interested in. But, I mean, once I started looking at it, um, I think some of the ones that stood out for me are the ones that I definitely did not think were related to otaku. And one of those would be, um, I guess, the, the train otaku. And this is because they kind of have their their origins going all the way back to the Meiji period. And they really started to become visible during the Taisho period. And, of course, if you think of otaku, I would always associate it with manga and anime. But it just goes way back. And um, scholars really think of these as the seminal otaku group. And the train has always been a symbol of Japanese modernization that just really fascinated people in Japan. And there's a huge number of people that have always been obsessed with different aspects of the trains.
1: Train otaku. So, uh, so these are maniacs for train culture? What what kind of things w- defines a train otaku?
0: Well, interestingly enough, there's actually 36 different subgroups to uh, <laughs> train otaku.
1: Okay. Um, and what are these subgroups uh, categorized by?
0: Well, you would have those who are obsessed with taking pictures of trains, you'd have experts in collecting train lunchboxes, um, those who are just enamored with train noises. They go around recording train sounds. There's even fans that appear in Japanese television who just show off their ability to identify train sounds so they can just hear a short clip and they can tell you, like, what line it o- is on and what train what train it is. And I mean, really, it's just something that's, that's flourished through Japan and it's always been a constant for their fan culture. It really exploded in the 1970s when it had a connection with anime, with uh, a popular Galaxy 99, which really combined the two areas of fandom and then it just got more people into trains in general.
1: Mm-hmm. I've done a fair amount of research on trains, so I think I would consider myself somewhat of a, a train fan. I don't know if I'd <laughs> <laughs> go so far as to call myself a train otaku, although I... I'm really intrigued by this train fan hotel package at Tokyo Station, mm-hmm. where for several hundred dollars a night, they'll put you up in a room overlooking the rail yard of Tokyo <laughs> Station, so you can see all the trains come by, and presumably you have your camera mounted on your tripod so you can catch the whatever train it is you're trying to capture. Yeah, it's it's
0: interesting the, uh, the length of the fandom will go to uh, I was reading about people that just stay up all night waiting for new train lines to open so they can be the first to ride. Or The train otaku actually appears in uh, one of the original coinages of the term otaku. There's a writer that writes an article about a few different types and he mentions, you know, now you have these these train fans that almost get themselves killed trying to lean over to take pictures of the blue line train. Mm-hmm. Which was um, highly popular at the time to the train fans because it was like the mm-hmm. the really nice night sleeper. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of the etymology of the word, do we do we know where this word otaku comes from? Or so originally, otaku is just
0: kind of um, a name for another person's house, and mm-hmm. it is kind of used as like you, but then it became associated with. Um, people's obsessions or, like, what they, th- what they lived with and what they surrounded themselves with. Mm. So it was, if you're really into something, you know, that was, like, your your house.
1: guess hmm. that makes sense. Mm. So trains would be one example. What's another example of, of otaku culture?
0: Another one that I found really interesting that I wouldn't really associate with being otaku was uh, Star Wars otaku, hmm. which actually kind of popped out for me because... I found that they had the, uh, one of the largest Star Wars fan bases outside of North America, and it's always um, been really popular since the original releases of the films. They have a huge amount of collectors there, and they have um, a lot of fan events, they have a big expos. In fact, they actually had um, Star Wars Celebration, the 30th anniversary of A New Hope. They actually held it in Japan for the fans there, which I found pretty interesting. It's also an interesting group, I think, because there's almost a, a feedback loop between, like, there's so much Japanese influence goes into making Star Wars, and then that loops back in on itself in Japanese culture from time to time. Mm-hmm.
1: So what kind of Japanese influences do we see in Star Wars? Well, George
0: Lucas took um, a lot of his inspiration um, for the first Star Wars. lifted a lot from Akira uh, Kurosawa's work, Hidden Fortress, I mean could look at, there's an evil emperor, there's a dark knight, and there's a princess that has to be saved. And you have the two, the two peasants, which is just like Rosencrantz and Gildenshire, I guess it is. It's like R2-D2 and C-3PO. Jedis in general. Um, the term Jedi actually comes from uh, Geki, which is period piece for Japanese film.
1: So it sounds like George Lucas was a bit
0: of an otaku for Japanese films, maybe. Oh, definitely, definitely, I think. Well, he was he was a big film fan for a lot of genres, but particularly Kira Kurosawa's work, and he actually, once he became famous, he actually ended up helping him produce a lot of his own works when he was having a hard time in um, Japan getting funding. It was really him and um, another director that helped pay for a lot of Kurosawa's movies. Spielberg. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's funny you mention that... The term originally comes from "house" because you think you get this idea that otaku culture and, and the otaku in general are, are men, especially perhaps adolescent men, who live in their parents' basement or something like this and, and don't really ever leave. But as I understand this, it's actually quite different.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was really surprised how large part of the women have played in otaku culture, but it's just often ignored. Some of the very first anime clubs were in fact dominated by women, and Comic Market, which is held twice a year in Tokyo, it's, it's one of the biggest fan gatherings in the world, and it sees nearly 60 to 70% of its attendance being women. And you know, I always thought the same, it's just some nerdy guy in his basement collecting triple-X anime figures or something, but I found examples of stay-at-home moms spending excessive amounts of money on their obsessions. Well, One that I came across was a 28-year-old housewife who was a graphic designer. Um, She was once a lead vocalist in a band. She's the mother of a six-year-old daughter. She'd been collecting for about six years, but she actually had a, a monthly savings account for her figures and she'd often run over that, but she'd just go out and take out loans to pay for the cost of her hobby. So she's obviously very dedicated to collecting these figures.
1: Figure, what, what figures are these?
0: Um, I think some of the ones she was really into were actually from her childhood. So there was, like, Dragon Ball, and I think there were just a few other cartoons I couldn't remember at the top of my head. But when she got into it, she just noticed them. At like a grocery store and she thought it was interesting she was very uh, nostalgic she bought one and she's like oh maybe i'll get the set and then it just went from there
1: <laughs> right and now she has this incredibly large collection yeah and i imagine that's how it is with many people who we might think of as a, as otaku it starts as one little interest and then it becomes almost an obsession so peter what are you an otaku of Um,
0: I guess I've been a big fan of a lot of different things throughout my life, but uh, currently I don't have time for too much. I'm I'm still a pretty big Star Wars fan. I wish I could just write papers on uh, Star Wars theory.
1: Star Wars theory?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Fan fiction, perhaps?
0: Oh, that might be a little bit difficult, but just dissecting different elements of the films or books and arguments about what that could mean.
1: So what, what's one of the things that really surprised you as you were doing the research?
0: I think just really how widespread it is now that it's been opened up and how it's been really embraced. There's a huge poll conducted um, in 2013 where it was like 140,000 people were polled and 42% of them identified as being like some type of otaku and 62% of, of teens identified themselves as being otaku in particular. And even you have Prime Minister Tarō Aso saying that he's Ataku himself and trying to promote Ataku culture. It's, it's really interesting. And I was also surprised by the amount of scholarship that's really been going into this in maybe the last uh, 17 years or so. In Japan it, in the 2000s, it went from just a minor research interest to suddenly you have whole academic books being focused on this. And in America, too, there's also an interest in, in looking at this phenomenon.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that, especially amongst adolescents and teenagers, 65%, you said, yeah. identify as otaku. I, mean, I guess today, even in North America, this idea, you know, the, the nerdy attitude, the, the nerdy look, for example, is, is popular now. And I wonder if there's something going on similarly there.
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's there's been quite a few arguments to try to connect it to something special about, like, Japanese-ness, a focus on, on Japanese circle clubs in the school really brought this out. Japan is how their, like, cultural worth ethic is to, like, dedicate their whole lives to something. But I think, really, it's something that's become popular all over the world this time. I mean, I don't think there's no stigmatization to being, like, geek or really interested in something. It's fan culture. has just flourished in North America. And if, if you think of yourself as if somebody loves superheroes, they're not just, like, a comic nerd now. They're just, oh, they're just really into Marvel movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's not necessarily unique to Japan, although it might have flourished there a little bit earlier with participatory community. But now, with the internet, it's so easy for people to just connect if they have interest in something. They can help build that community just through connecting online. And I think for adults especially, I mean, it's almost like during the 80s, there was so much marketing towards children and this untapped consumer potential. You had like G.I. Joe, Transformers, Star Wars, and all this collecting from when you were young. Mm -hmm it became such a big part of your life. And now a lot of people that still like transitions over to their older when, you know, they might see some random expensive Star Wars thing and it'll be the same effect as the um, otaku a woman I mentioned that was into figures who just have this nostalgic aspect. And you're like, oh, I'll pay money to buy this thing
1: you know how expensive the Millennium Falcon Lego set is? Oh, yes, the new one. And I might actually have <laughs> to buy that. It's like 150 bucks, but, but just to your point, might actually have to buy that. It is a pretty amazing set of Lego. It seems like a lot of fun to put it <laughs> together. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research, and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.